0: I read this morning in the Post and Courier where they made a discovery in Madrid, Spain that they have recovered 10,000 pieces of art and archaeology that was stolen. But they only described one item that was stolen. One item was described that was recovered. It was a book, leather-bound, gilded with gold, written in Latin, and on blazed as a title was the Book of Psalms. There it had lay in that location with all of those treasures for many, many years out of sight, and now it's recovered. And I thought it interesting that out of all the things that they could have put forward as a recovered treasure, that they put forward this book of Psalms. And then I thought, how appropriate. Because it is a treasure. Martin Luther said that the Psalms are unlike any other book in the Bible. It doesn't contradict, but it completes. And it covers so much so that the Psalms are a mini Bible. And we at Two Rivers have begun in this summer an attempt to rediscover and recover the Psalms in our everyday worship. We're going through, with a summer mixtape that we've put together, we're going through the top 15 songs. The psalms are songs and prayers collected of ancient Israel. There are 150 of them. And we're sending them out to you and the congregation each day, um, Justin has organized all 150 for comprehension, and where he's encouraged you to walk with us as a church body through the Psalms. And we would like for you to take out of that out of that uh, email communication. We would like for you to take time to either include that with your Bible reading each day already, or to begin the practice of everyday worship. Everyday worship is selecting, I would say, a particular time in the course of the day that you carve out. I would encourage you for it to be a very special place, a place without distraction. And there, you begin to read God's Word. And that gives God, this is where God speaks. And that you would... Avail yourself, and with all surrender as you read, invite God to speak. And then you would end that time thinking, meditating, chewing on what you've just read. And then you conclude with prayer. That's everyday worship. And we would like to encourage you to join us, not only on Sunday morning as we go through our summer mixtape, With these special songs of praise and prayer, but every day. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book on the Psalms, said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And what makes it so great is that the psalmist, in writing this psalm, looks at both the world that he lives in, creation, nature, the sunrise, the sun coursing through the heavens to sunset, and to do that again the next day, and he says, as I look at the world, I see my Creator revealed this is if God is shouting to me with visual display I exist I exist I exist and I know you you're not alone you're not unseen you're one of my precious creations you're my child and I am a powerful creator and I'm yours But the psalmist doesn't leave it with just the world. He goes and he says, the words of God, the laws, commands, the precepts, the rules, everything that God has said, it reveals things about God's character as well. And then we're going to see, as we come to a conclusion, that with the world revealing God and the word revealing God, the psalmist feels he's revealed. In other words, God is about self-disclosure. He, Christianity, unlike every other religion, has a God who is a creator who wants to reveal himself to us and he initiates the process. It's He doesn't play hide and seek. He doesn't say mystically, I exist, see if you can find me. But he broadcasts with every sunrise his presence and his continued existence. And then further, when we read in the Bible or we hear it preached or taught, God begins to speak again through the medium of the Spirit to our spirit. And there's something in us that says that is true. Whether I like it or not, that is true about God or that is true about God and what must be true of me. So through self-disclosure in the world and His Word, I'm disclosed. And then that can be troubling. That can be very troubling. But God discloses himself one final time in the person of a human body, a savior, a redeemer, Jesus Christ, that we will meet at this table. We will take his body and we will take it inside. And the mystery of this table is such that it will further confirm the very real living existence and presence of God in the person of Jesus now with me in all of creation. And whenever I read his word, I'm never separated from him and his favor is upon me. Okay, that's the sermon. But I'm not done yet because I want to go through the outline. So make sure you got your outline in front of you as we go through this. And I want to show you the two things. I want to show you the son of this world and how it reveals God, and I want to show you the sun, the bright, shining sun of His Word, and how it reveals God. Romans 1.20 says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. It was very, um, this verse impacted my life because it was this verse, this verse staring me in the face when I was considering and looking at Christianity as an unbeliever. I read this verse and I said, God, God, like Helen Keller, when her tutor Anne Sullivan shared the good news of the existence of God to her, Helen Keller in her blind, dark world cried out, I knew him, I knew him, I just never knew his name. And this verse pierced my heart and said, Stogner, you can go forward and you don't have to believe in God but you know that he exists you can you've been you who have who have been exposed to so much of nature and its display of wonder provoking awe in you you knew that there was a god now you don't have to follow him and you can say you don't believe in Him, but you. this verse says one day you'll stand before God and God will look you in the eye and said, you knew that I existed, right? You'll say, yeah. I didn't know you very well, but I knew that there was something behind the sunrise. I knew there was something behind those brilliant sunny days. I knew that there was something, some power, a Creator behind a sunset. Thomas Merton is a monk, but I think he's also a poet. And this is a long reading, but this is a journal entry. Bear with me. I came up here from the monastery last night, sloshing through the cornfield. I said vespers, and I put some oatmeal on the Coleman stove for supper. It boiled over while I was listening to the rain and toasting a bit of bread on my log fire. The night became very dark. The rain surrounded the whole cabin with this enormous virginal myth, a whole world of meaning, of secrecy, of silence, of rumor. Think of it. All that speech pouring down, selling nothing, judging nobody, drenching the thick mulch of dead leaves, soaking the trees, filling the gullies and the crannies of the wood with water, washing out the places where men have stripped the hillside. What a thing it is to sit absolutely alone in the forest at night. Cherished by this wonderful, unintelligible, perfectly innocent speech. The most comforting speech in the world. The talk that rain makes by itself all over the ridges. And the talk of the water courses everywhere in the hollows. Nobody started it. Nobody's going to stop it. It will talk as long as it wants, this rain. And as long as it talks... I'm going to listen. Has nature or this world or creation ever talked to you? Has it ever talked to you? Annie Dillard wrote a book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And Annie Dillard, as a writer, went into seclusion, a sabbatical, on a place in a little cabin on Tinker Creek. And each day she would go out into the surrounding forest and the streams and just observe nature. And as she came away, she wrote that she saw nature and she judged it differently than she had when she was at a distance. She said, it's most beautiful, and it's awesome, but nature is red in tooth and claw. And what she meant was it's red in blood and tooth and claw. That nature, creation, this world, it shows us God, but it in itself doesn't possess the attributes of God. It's not merciful it's survival. It's not self-sacrificing. It's very self-oriented. And it's not to condemn creation or nature far from it. It's simply to say that the two problems that can exist with this world is that, number one, we're very apt the problem's with what we call general revelation. General revelation is where we look in creation and we see the mark of God, of a creator. We see, we see the artistry and we connect general revelation. It reveals that there is an artist. But there's two problems. Number one, people adore creation but not creator. In other words, people began to to let their joys be found only in the appreciation, the adoration, the stimulation that they get from nature. Their joy falls short. It's not found with a creator, but it's found in something beneath him. The joy is not found in the artist but simply His art. The psalmist says here that in verse 2, day to day, nature or the sky pours out speech. It reveals knowledge. In fact, in verse 3, there's nowhere no one can say, there are no excuses, there's nowhere that this voice is not heard. Verse 4, this speech, it covers the whole world. Verse 5, it is Beautiful And it is strong. It reveals beauty. It reveals the power of a creator God. And then in verse 6, it says that it makes this circuit and it begins it again. And everything on the face of the earth receives its heat and its light. But the problem is, when we look to Just this creation alone, it is nonverbal speech. So, in other words, just seeing creation, creation's wordless speech is not enough. We cannot, Paul will use this same passage here. This same passage that he used in Romans 1, he will use out of Psalm 19 and Romans 10. I think it's verse 18. But he will use this same passage to say on his own missionary motivations, he's saying all the world has seen evidence of God, but unless they hear, then they cannot be saved. They can't connect the dots. They need to hear of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Nature will proclaim the power of God, but it won't clearly identify where mercy is found, where acceptance is found, where embrace is found. It will point to God, but we need words, verbal communication. I've got to leave this point, but can I encourage you? The word disciple means student. And there are lots of students of nature and if you're a student of of Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, you should love nature as well. You should fight to protect nature as well. You should be one of the one of the great environmentalists with calls. But we don't worship nature, but we worship the creator behind it. What if you now would disciple, educate, speak or connect the dots? with a friend. You will hear your friend many times if they're not a believer they're going to find their worship because we are made to worship rather than worship the creator you're going to worship creation. Your friend if they do not have a relationship with God such that he's the object of their love and adoration it's probably going to be found in nature. And because you're the friend what if in conversations you're able to say or ask those questions to say, who do you attribute this world and its formation to? Do you think there's a creator? What do you think he's like? Have those conversations, and allow your friend to see your own, own joys found in not simply creation, but seeing the hand behind it all. Secondly, secondly, This morning, I want you to see that the Son of the Word reveals God. Now, lots of commentators at this point, they say, you know, this really needs to be two separate psalms uh, because from verse 7 on, it's a totally different psalm. I mean, here he's talking about the Son and all of creation, and now suddenly he says, the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. What's going on? Verse 6 is the clue. There is nothing hidden from its heat. So in other words, the psalmist, in putting before you the sun and in looking at the sun, let's imagine the psalmist wakes up early in the morning, pre-dawn hours. He wakes up, perhaps this, you know, David goes out in nature. And there he is in the field and the sun begins to rise. And all of the landscape now begins to be lit up and illuminated. And not only that, but he feels on his face the heat. And he sees the, 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 the warmth and the heat on the, the dewy morning beginning to reach all the trees and all the plants. And the sunlight, it just, it's coming into the darkness and it's just searching out, making light where there was dark. And it's as if it's healing. It's driving out the dark. So this searching, cleansing, healing light coming up. And he says, you know what? That's what God's Word does for me. When I read about God in the Bible, when I read His Bible, when I read His words to me, it's as if it searches me out. It lights up my darkness. It enlightens me where there was no light. It refreshes me. And he says all of this. He uses six different synonyms the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the rules. But they're, with each one, they are benefits. He said, it revives. It makes me wise. It gives me a right way to go. It, rejo- it causes rejoicing in my heart. It enlightens my eyes. And it's so great, verse 10. That it's more to be desired than any possession or financial security that I could pursue. Which is at heart what many people find to be the most desirable thing. Either that or entertainment. He says here it's not found in finances and financial stability. And it's not found in food and entertainment. He said it's all found here. C.S. Lewis grappled with this, and he said, "How, how does the psalmist find delight in the law? Because what was happening here is that the law here, it means the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. That's what the psalmist would have had. So how does he come to all the the Ten Commandments, for instance? How does he come to the Ten Commandments and say, wow, man, this is reviving? When most of us think, oh, Ten Commandments. Okay, I know it's a part of the Bible, but that's not where I go for reviving, refreshing, enlightenment, joy, rejoicing the heart, Ten Commandments. The Jewish people were known as people of the book. Because they had the Torah. They carried it around in the ark. But Moses and the teachers of Israel taught them and the prophets of Israel taught them over and over again the law of the God. The law of God. The law of God. But the law was not just a collection of willy-nilly rules. They They were guidelines. The book was a book of the covenant. The book of the covenant. Let me explain it like this. When you get married, is your marriage license a joy to look, look at and hold? Or is it like, ugh? Well, I can tell you, particularly for newlyweds, to look at your marriage license and to hold the marriage license, you will put it in a favorite spot. You'll frame it. You'll hang it. You'll put it in a scrapbook. You'll put it in a place. You're not going to throw it away. You're not going to put it as a doormat. You're, it's going to be precious to you because it says, I'm in relationship with this other person. And it's legal and it's binding. Boy, I got them now. I fooled them now. But I, they're stuck. And I am so stuck with them and I love it. And what if, what if you had guidelines to say, your lover now is giving to you a book and saying, honey. This is the real me. And in this book are secrets that I have never shared with anything anybody else. And it's all my fears. It's all my dreams. It's all my needs. It's all my wants. It's all my desires with you. Would you take that book? Would you want to read it? Would it be precious to you? John Calvin said that there are three uses of the law. He said, it's a mirror of God's righteousness. So the law of God shows me my lover, shows me my creator, shows me my master. It's a mirror. It's God's reflection of himself. So I get to learn about God And you know what it says? It says over and over again, he is steadfast, he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. Which were the last words of Jesus. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And it also says, I am merciful in my love. I'm compassionate. I don't love you when you're good and leave you when you're bad. You can't go one sin too many, and I kick you to the curb. I'm in. This book says I have bound myself to you, and you're mine forever. Secondly, it's an arm of restraint on evil, and I won't say anything about that other than to say that we believe that all of creation there there certain you know there's a moral law, a moral code that every civilized country and so, you know, civilization has embraced in order to restrain evil. The law shows us good and bad. And then lastly, the third use of the law is it's a son revealing what is pleasing to God. It's a son that reveals what is pleasing to God. This book is that lover's book and says... Here's how to please me. And he is not one that is difficult to please. The way that he says to please him most is to be thankful. This is a mentor said to me one time. I sentence you to joy. It's as if God comes and says, here's the rule. Enjoy me. Enjoy Look at that sunrise and think of me shining on you. Look at that strong, strong, blazing sun. Nobody can stand against its heat. Its heat goes in every cranny. And think of my power. And to think of my all encompassing love and that power working for you and on your behalf. That's how we please God. It's not simply obedience to rules. It's really more falling more and more in love and learning what pleases our lover. In verse in verse 12, the psalmist has looked at the sun and he's looked at God's word and he's feeling the exposure declare me innocent from hidden faults why did he go there because he's saying and he has arrived at where we must arrive that if god is in all of creation and if god's law and god's person is like a searching cleansing sun then he knows my thoughts he knows me through and through And there's never a time that I'm away from him. And that can be very troubling. And with this psalmist, he says, Oh, your son coming into my darkness, it sees every cranny, doesn't it? Your person looking into me sees everything. And I I don't even see everything. I have hidden faults. I have things that I have done that I'm not even aware of doing. What I really need in the face of the sun is I need sunscreen. I need something that I can put on or else this sun will just consume me. Because there's so many parts of me that are black that I don't even know enough to present them to you, willing to be healed and cleansed and forgiven. I need need protection. And he says here in verse 12, he said, Declare me innocent from hidden faults. He doesn't say, I'm perfect. I don't have any hidden faults. He says, I've got blind spots. There's stuff in my life. Would you declare me innocent? Would you cover me? Would you be, as it says in verse 14, my redeemer? Will you redeem me? Will you cleanse me? Will you heal me? Verse 13, let them not have dominion over me. Notice, it's not a fear of God, it's a fear of sin. It's not a fear of this searching sun that he's feeling the sunlight of God's face in his life and saying, You're searching me and you're seeing everything. He doesn't say, and I'm afraid of you, I'm afraid of you, don't burn me. What he's saying is, I want more of you. I really want more of you. I don't want to be blacked. And if there's a way that you can heal me with this light, if there's a way that I won't be kept in the dark by my sin, then I want that. And then finally in verse 14, he uses the language of sacrifice. When he says, let the words of my mouth, let this song, this is a song that he's singing, a prayer that he's praying, he's saying, I'm not even sure if this is not tainted. But he's saying, let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, like that lamb without blemish. May this be acceptable to you, God. Notice he doesn't bring a bloody sacrifice to say, forgive me he brings a song of assurance saying, I know that I'm forgiven because your law has promised it. And that's why it's so beautiful to me. There was a law that said if an innocent man, a completely innocent man, will die in the place of a black heart, a sinner. If the innocent man will die in the place of the guilty sinner, then the sinner will change place. And he will be judged innocent. And the innocent will take the place of the sinner. Is that a good law or a bad law? We reenact that law at this table. Jesus Christ, on the very night that he was betrayed, He took bread, and knowing God's law, rejoicing in God's law, said, this bread that I break represents my body, which is about to be broken on the cross for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. I don't believe that that night of the Passover would have been different in attitude and spirit than other Passovers. It would have been a night to reflect on salvation when an innocent lamb's blood was slain and when I was forgiven by the power of that blood. It would have been a table, not simply of solemnity, but a table of celebration. And then after supper, Christ took the cup and he said this cup represents my blood that is going to be shed. And it represents the same power that the Lamb's blood had, the washing away of all of your sins as an acceptable sacrifice. Drink this in remembrance of me. Wine is for rejoicing. Two rivers we drink not to forget, but we raise our glass and we drink to remember, to remember has been done for us. I want to invite our men to come forward this morning as they prepare to serve us. Who may come to this table? Who's acceptable? We are made acceptable when we can look at the Lord our God and we can see Him Revealed not only as a powerful, strong, unmoving rock, but we can look at him and say, I know him as my redeemer. I know him as my forgiver. We don't come to this table because our faith is strong. We come to this table because our faith rests on Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I do ask that you set aside this bread and this cup for the mysterious purpose of building us up in our love and in our walk with you. In Christ's name, amen.